I'm James Bryan Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You are listening to episode two. If you missed the pilot episode and this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what I call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to learn how to set their minds on things above. And that phrase, things above, is the name of the podcast. And that comes from Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things above. So in this podcast, what I want to do each week is try to give you a what I call a glorious thought, something good and beautiful and true, something excellent and praiseworthy, something inspirational and encouraging, something to fill your mind with uh, a heavenly truth. Sometimes we need these truths to counter the false narratives that plague us and prevent us from living a glorious life. That was certainly the case for me. For many years, I lived with a false idea about God and about sin and about forgiveness. So let me tell you my story. I became a Christian in August of 1980, just one month before I headed off to college. My conversion happened after a year of searching for something that was missing in my life. I didn't know what it was, but something was missing. And eventually I became friends with a part-time street evangelist, part-time fireman uh, named Pat. And um, we together read the Gospels. Um, He gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity that same summer. And it was August 8th of 1980, uh, 8880, that I came to the conclusion that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God who rose from the dead. So uh, I knelt by my bed and prayed, because I'd seen that in movies. Um, I said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I called Pat, and he said, hallelujah, this is awesome. And then I went to a Christian bookstore, and I bought a fish necklace uh, to commemorate my my newfound faith, because the only thing I really knew about Christians is they like to wear jewelry. So got myself a fish necklace. I love being a Christian. Um, that, that first month, two months uh, of my life as a Christian were great. In fact, nothing uh, in my life had given me the kind of joy I was experiencing. I read the Bible every day. I journaled. I prayed. Read some more C.S. Lewis. You know, all was well with my soul. When I got to college, I became friends with some Christian students on campus, and I started uh, attending a Wednesday night fellowship group that they had. And there was a guy who helped lead the group, um, and I'll call him Fred, not his real name. And he's, uh, after he kind of got to know me, heard I was a new Christian, he wanted to take me for coffee. So we went out for coffee, and he asked about my faith journey. So I told him about Pat and Lewis and the necklace, you know. And when I was finished, he said, well, that's a nice story, Jim, but um, you know you're not saved. I said, wow, not, not saved. He said, yeah, if you, if you died tonight, you would um, you'd burn in hell. Wow, again. I said, so uh, what do I have to do to be saved, I asked Fred. And he took out a tract that he had. He had it ready and loaded, and it had these four points on it. And it ended with, with what was called a sinner's prayer. That's how the, this tract ended. And they... He said, basically, if you believe these, these steps or these, these points are true and say this prayer, then you will be saved. And, of course, I prayed the prayer. I mean, come on. Who does, I don't want to burn in hell. So after I prayed the prayer, I, I looked up at Fred and I said, hey, am I saved now? And he said, well, for now. 
but you can still lose it. And I said, how? And he said, well, if you sin and you don't confess it and get it forgiven, uh, even one sin, can, one sin can send you to hell. So I said, um, well, what can I do? And he said, what you need to learn to do is, how to, is to keep short accounts with God. And I said, okay, you got to get unpack that one. Well, he said, short accounts with God means you don't want to let your sins pile up. So if, if, as soon as you sin, you need to confess it and, and get it off the books, as, you, as they say. I said, wow. And he, he said, well, but, you know, I know it's not easy to do, but I'm going to give you a, a technique, a practice, and it's going to help you. I said, oh, great. What, what is it? And he said, it's called spiritual breathing. I said, okay, how does it work? He said, so when you're you know, going through your life, you're breathing in and out. When you sin, uh, as soon as you recognize that you've sinned, uh, you breathe out a confession that you can the, the sin, and then you breathe in, you breathe in God's forgiveness. And um, I said, wow, okay. So I tried to do it. Boy, I was focused, man. I was focused on doing the spiritual breathing practice. I wanted to keep my account short. And so um, it didn't go well uh, because I found that my, my spiritual breathing practice uh, soon became spiritual panting and eventually spiritual hyperventilating. That's because I was doing was thinking about sin, and I probably sinned more than any other time in my life because I just was so focused on it. Now, my theology has changed in subsequent years, but this particular notion, this idea that God was keeping track of all my sins and that God's entire relationship with me was focused on my sin, that put me in a state of paralysis. And I carried that narrative with me for years. I've carried it through seminary. I even carried it into the ministry. And that false narrative about God, you know, tracking our sin, essentially made my life miserable because I got to the point where I thought, I can't get out of this. I'm stuck. And I'm supposed to be in ministry and a joyful Christian leading others into the faith. And I said, I think I want out. And I really cried to God for help. I said, I, I can't continue this. And then the help came. It came in the form of some deep and wise Christian people who offered me another narrative. And that narrative is what I call the finality of the cross. This glorious thought from above can be stated in this beautiful way. See if you recognize this. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. He's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You may have recognized that um, what I just read to you was uh, from the classic Christian hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And I love that particular line. It's just uh, mind-blowing. My sin, all of our sin, has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. That is a glorious thought. What it means practically is for those who've received Jesus as their Lord, that their sins, past, present, and future, hear that, past, present, and future, are not being counted against us. Several years after I first you know, really discovered the finality of the cross, I was having dinner with Dallas Willard, and I said to Dallas, I explained what I just had said to you, my story and what I'd come to learn, and, and he said, oh, that's wonderful, James. That's great, because you know God is no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sins. I said, what did you say? 
and I asked him to repeat it, and he said, God is no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sins. Ah, that because of Jesus, right, something has fundamentally changed. And so I wrote it down on a napkin, and I kept it. Now, some of you listening may be saying, wait a minute, fella, that's not true. How can that be that my sins, past, present, and future, have been taken away? Not in part, but the whole. How can that possibly be? Okay. Well, I understand if you're having some objections right now. So let's go to the New Testament and see, because that's the only way we can, we can solve this. Okay. So let's look at some verses. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Okay, you may say, well, Jim, it says the forgiveness of our trespasses, but it doesn't say all our sins for all time, as you're asserting, Jim. Well, okay, that's just one verse. Let's keep looking. This is John 1.29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Now, it may not say specifically that all sin for all time is forgiven in Christ, but it does say the sin of the world, and it does say takes away, not temporarily forgives. Now, the Jewish understanding of uh, the forgiveness of our sins was rooted in the temple tradition of blood sacrifice. That was how it worked. You know, a person wanted to get their sins forgiven, and uh, a blood sacrifice had to be made. So that's why we read in Hebrews um, chapter 9, verses 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That last clause, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, that comes from Leviticus. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is in the Old Covenant, back under the law, that's how sins got forgiven. Under the Old Covenant... The priest made the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. But, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, Jesus' death on the cross put an end to the old covenant once and for all. Hebrews 7.27, unlike the other high priests, Jesus has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of his people. This Jesus did once for all when he offered himself, once for all. One death on the cross for all people, for all time, past, present, and future. Jesus' sacrifice was so perfect that he doesn't need to repeat it. One more verse. I could offer plenty more, but you're getting a lot of Bible here. So this comes from Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave all our trespasses erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He erased the record. Not just for the sins, for example, that I committed in 1988, but for all my sins, for all time, sins I haven't yet committed. God is indeed no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sins. When we understand this powerful truth, this glorious thought, our life will be changed dramatically. See, I was so preoccupied with my sin 
past and present. I wouldn't worry about the future. I still had to, you know, they were forthcoming. But when I was so focused on my sin and so racked with guilt and shame, I couldn't grow spiritually. Bob George put it well. A failure to recognize and trust that the sin issue between you and God is over will effectively stop your spiritual growth in Christ. Wow. Failure to recognize this will stop your growth in Christ. Bob George goes on to say, If Satan can keep us preoccupied with the past through dredging up our feelings of guilt over past sins, then we can never be free to trust Christ as we walk through life today. That, that spoke to me when I read that. I'd been living with the narrative that all God cared about was my sin, and that's all he cared about. He didn't want a relationship with me. He just, wanted, just, just got to, oh, I just can't take the sin. So I was preoccupied with my sin and therefore paralyzed by it. But once I understood the finality of the cross, once I embraced the finality of the cross, I was set free to live the life Jesus wants me to live. Okay, you may be thinking, this Smith guy is way too light on sin. Not at all. Actually, I take sin more seriously because of the finality of the cross. Because I used to think, well, okay, I, I did that sin, and it was at what level of bad badness that sin was. But hey, I can just turn to God, say, God, I'm sorry, I whatevered, and it's over. Now, because I'm not under that oppression, I can now look more honestly at sin and say, Wow, sin is damaging. Um, the damage brought by my sin is not God's alienation from me, but my alienation from God. And the damage done by sin is deadly, body, mind, and soul. There's no escaping the reality that every sin we commit damages us. That's the nature of it. My practice of confession actually really changed after I understood the finality of the cross. I confessed more, but in a different way. I still confessed my sin, but I no longer asked God for forgiveness. I thanked God for forgiveness, and then I spoke to God about my sin. Why did I sin? What motivated, motivated me to do it? How can I avoid it in the future? See, that's what God really wants. I mean, imagine you're God. You died on the cross to establish the forgiveness of sin for all people for all time. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, right? He's nailed to the cross. Now, imagine how you'd feel if all your people did with sin and confess and ask forgiveness, sin, confess, ask forgiveness, on and on repeat, right? But never work on the cause of the sin and never got, get on with living a life of growth and intimacy with God. I think it breaks the heart of God. Jesus came to bring us abundant life. He cleared the deck or erased the record, whichever metaphor you like, in order to give his life to us. That will be the subject of the next podcast. I'll be sharing how Jesus not only gave his life for us, but he also gave his life to us. The ultimate goal of our salvation is not merely getting into heaven, merely getting forgiven, though we need that, right? God provided that. The goal of salvation is the restoration of our life. I hope, I hope you'll join me next week for episode three titled Forgiven to be Filled. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Bryan Smith. You can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. That way you can get them automatically each week. Till next time, keep setting your minds on things above. And as always, my hope is that one day if you're asked, hey, what's on your mind? Your answer will be things above. <laughs>